You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with Judicial Watch's weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us as always. Much in the way of anti-corruption news to talk about this week. We've got this crazy election chaos in Florida. Judicial Watch is on the ground there. I have a special report for you. Plus, great news in our efforts to hold Hillary Clinton accountable for her email misconduct. A federal court ruled that we can ask her additional questions in writing under oath about the email scandal. So uh, a lot of discussion on that. Plus, we have a new important lawsuit on the Awan Brothers Democratic IT scandal. You may recall the House Democrats had uh, some corruption associated with their IT work uh, that has, in my view, broad national security and other implications that are going uh, unnoticed by the establishment and, frankly, the Justice Department. So I'll talk about that. Uh, first up, though, is the big news about Hillary Clinton and uh, the federal court ruling this week that she has to answer more questions on her email practices. Now, Judicial Watch has taken the lead in uncovering the Clinton email scandal. In fact, it was our litigation, our Freedom of Information Act litigation, that led to the disclosure that Hillary Clinton had this email system that she was using uh, to hide emails from you, the American people, and from Congress and from investigators. And as a result of that uh, misconduct, the Freedom of Information Act that Judicial Watch uses to investigate her State Department and other agencies was thwarted. And uh, the courts were misled, it looks like, by the State Department in suggesting they had looked everywhere they needed to look in terms of responding to our FOIA request. They never told us about these Clinton emails that they weren't looking at. And courts were upset at that. And one of those courts, uh, Judge Emmett Sullivan, who is a U.S. District Court judge, a federal judge here in the District of Columbia, granted Judicial Watch discovery in one of its affected Freedom of Information Act cases. We deposed Cheryl Mills, top aide to Hillary Clinton. We deposed Yuma Abedin, another top aide to Hillary Clinton, who also had a secret email account on the system that was used for government record, uh, government business, and other top State Department officials from uh, the Clinton-era State Department. And uh, that was discovery that Judicial Watch took. Uh, The FBI did their sham investigation. We did a real investigation. In fact, the FBI, incredibly, was using Judicial Watch Freedom of Information Act documents to question witnesses in its alleged investigation of Hillary Clinton's email practices. So one of the things we were allowed to do by Judge Sullivan was to ask Hillary Clinton written questions under oath meaning uh, they're called interrogatories, so that she needed to respond to them under oath. And I think there were 24, 25 questions. And uh, she said, I do not recall many, many times in response to our questions. But there are three questions that she refused to answer, objecting to them and uh, refusing to answer. So we had to go back to the court with, with what is called a motion to compel, to compel her answers to these questions. We had other issues as well because the video of the depositions of these aides, as I said, uh, were taken by Judicial Watch attorneys. Now, uh, there's a court reporter there that transcribes them, so there's a written record, but there was also a video reporter there, so there's a video of those those depositions. And I, I was able, as president of Judicial Watch, to attend, I think, almost all of them. 
but the video isn't available because uh, the deponents, Cheryl Mills notably and Yuma Abedin, came in and said they shouldn't be released publicly. And uh, the court initially sealed these video depositions back in 2016. And so that was an issue because we went back and said, look, the election's over. There's really no good reason to have these videos secret. Uh, and on top of that, there was a, 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 a State Department employee, John Bentel, who was a uh, top uh, IT guy for the Secretary's office. And we wanted to question him. Well, he took the Fifth Amendment in our deposition, so we sought to compel answers. We thought he couldn't credibly uh, take advantage of the Fifth Amendment protections not to answer our questions because there was no credible fear of prosecution. So all of that was pending before Judge Sullivan. So we had a, finally a big hearing on it uh, this past week. And I attended uh, as president of Judicial Watch. I'm, I'm the client. I was representing the corporation. And Michael Bekesha, uh, who you may have seen on other Judicial Watch uh, reports here on, on video, was our attorney in the courtroom representing uh, Judicial Watch. Now, on the other side were eight attorneys for the other parties. You had two Justice Department attorneys. You had David Kendall and an associate representing Hillary Clinton. I think you had two attorneys uh, representing uh, Mr. Bentel. Uh, you had an attorney representing Yuma Abedin, attorney representing Cheryl Mills. So uh, a lot of lawyers arrayed against uh, little old Judicial Watch in this court hearing. So the court heard argument for about an hour and a half on all these issues, and he ultimately ruled that the video depositions could not be released because he thought that they could cause embarrassment and harm to the deponents. Uh, we just didn't buy that, but the court ruled as he did. He also ruled, interestingly, that Mr. Bentel didn't have to testify because the Fifth Amendment concerns he had were credible in the sense that there was a credible fear of prosecution because the court looked at the record. This is... Uh, something that's worth noting, and found that Mr. Bentel may have lied to Congress. And the prosecution for lying to Congress, uh, perjury, uh, could possibly still take place because the statute of limitations is five years. So I think the deposition, te the testimony took place in 2016, and I don't think the statute of limitations would run to 2021. So don't let anyone tell you that the statute of limitations, at least as it relates to perjury, has run on the Clinton email scandal. So the long and short of that is we can't get to question him any further on these issues. But the big news is, is we were successful on this key issue, which is getting Hillary Clinton to have to answer questions she otherwise objected to. And uh, two of the questions uh, we won on, a third we didn't win on. I don't need to get into the details as to why we didn't win on the third one. I disagree with the judge there. But on the two we won on, they include information about why, and I'll read the question specifically to you because it's worth reading. Because these aren't just, these are not unimportant questions. These questions go to the heart of the Clinton email scheme. Mrs. Clinton, over her objections and the objections of the Justice Department and the State Department, yes, we were in court this week fighting not only Hillary Clinton, but the Justice Department lawyers representing the State Department, who are on her side on the, this very issue I'm talking about, not only on the secrecy of the videos, uh, they were on the side of Yuma Abedin and Cheryl Mills and State Department officials 
who they didn't want uh, information, more information out about how they conducted themselves with the Hillary Clinton scheme. Uh, but also they were trying to protect Hillary Clinton from having to answer uh, some of these questions, and specifically this question. Describe the creation of the ClintonEmail.com system, including who decided to create the system, the date it was decided to create the system, why it was created, who set it up, and when it became operational. So a lot of questions all up in that one interrogatory, and an important question that uh, the American people deserve a straight answer to. And now Mrs. Clinton has 30 days to respond in writing under oath to this question. The second question is, during your October 22, 2015 appearance before the U.S. House of Representatives Select Committee on Benghazi, you testified that 90 to 95% of your emails were in the state system, and if if so, if they wanted to see them, they would certainly have been able to do so. Identify the basis for this statement, including all facts which you've relied on in support of the statement, how and when you became aware of these facts, and whether and if you were made aware of these facts by or through another person, identify the person who made you aware of these facts. She didn't want to answer this question. There was an attorney-client assertion, attorney-client privilege assertion, and the judge found that was not sufficient. She needed to answer the question, and if she could provide information outside the scope of any attorney-client privilege, she needed to. Now, what's important about that is uh, Mrs. Clinton had put forward, I think, uh, the misleading information that the State Department had all of her emails. Even though she took them all, any that were missing or needed to be found were there in her system. Well, we had a deponent, someone testify from the State Department, who said that was misleading because it would have been nearly impossible to gather up all those emails from the State Department systems. And of course, secondly, she deleted half of the emails she improperly alienated, that's the language of the law, or stole from the State Department. So 30,000, 30, what is it, 30, 33,000 were deleted. Now, Judicial Watch has uncovered through our investigations that the FBI was only able to recover or otherwise find 5,000 of those 30,000 plus emails. So there are 25,000 at least missing emails as a result of Mrs. Clinton and her lawyers deleting them. So when she's telling Congress to roll into the State Department system, don't you believe it? And that's why we asked the question. And that's why we're going to get an answer, thanks to Judge Sullivan, compelling Mrs. Clinton to provide more information. So isn't it remarkable that it's a little old judicial watch who's in court getting successfully Hillary Clinton to answer questions under oath, basic questions under oath, about what she was doing with her email system, why she created it, who was responsible for its creation. And and, uh, I tell you, the most disappointing thing about this was sitting in there and watching uh, uh, State Department lawyers or Justice Department lawyers for the State Department get up there and say that Judicial Watch shouldn't get answers to these questions, that her objections were valid, and uh, we shouldn't get any more information. Now, these were not questions given to the State Department. These were questions given to Hillary Clinton, no longer an employee of the State Department. So for the Justice Department to come in here and uh, just gratuitously defend Hillary Clinton and support her like this is just so, it's just so outrageous. Uh, this is now year two of the Trump administration, and it looks like the deep state is still running the show when it comes to the Hillary Clinton email scandal. They're protecting her. They're giving us the runaround. And thankfully, the courts aren't buying it. Uh, They buy it a little bit sometimes, 
uh, but we were successful, and uh, so we turned back Hillary Clinton's efforts to avoid answering this key question about how our email system was set up. And I want to thank you, the American people, those of you who support Judicial Watch, for uh, providing us with the resources and moral and prayerful support to get this work accomplished. Our lawyers can't do it without you. We can't do it without you. And certainly it would not be done without Judicial Watch because Congress isn't doing the job. Uh, The Justice Department is defending her and protecting her rather than uh, defending the rule of law and vindicating the rule of law. And it's up to Judicial Watch. We are doing all the heavy lifting on this Clinton email scandal. And I want to compare and contrast what's going on with the Clinton email scandal, uh, what the Justice Department was doing this week with what it was doing with Donald Trump through the Mueller investigation. The President of the United States, according to the reports, is figuring out whether he's going to answer uh, 24 or however many questions about this fraud Russia collusion uh, scandal story that was generated in part by Hillary Clinton's campaign. And the Justice Department is harassing the president with silly questions about a pretend scandal while defending Hillary Clinton uh, from being uh, having to answer questions about a serious scandal with national security implications. Uh, but that's the way this day, this this is this is why the president's so outraged about what's going on here in Washington, and because he knows there's nothing to this scandal, there's no evidence that there's Russia collusion, and yet the same Justice Department is going full bore protecting Hillary Clinton. So, you can trust Judicial Watch at least to do what we can to expose what goes on and hold her accountable. And uh, I'm glad to see that. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, the incoming senator, uh, the incoming chairman of the Judiciary Committee, has expressed interest in perhaps investigating the Clinton email scandal. Well, that would be welcome, I can tell you, because now that uh, Democrats will be in control of the House, uh, they're not going to investigate the Clinton email scandal. Of course they're not going to do that. They're going to investigate things that are important to them ideologically and politically. And obviously going after and exposing the corruption of the Justice Department and FBI and other agencies that protected Hillary Clinton is it going to be on their agenda. And I don't know whether Lindsey Graham's going to actually do anything, but it really doesn't matter because Judicial Watch is going to be doing the work. We've always been doing the work. We hope that Congress does what it's supposed to do in terms of oversight, but we don't rely on that to happen, and that's why we do our own lawsuits and investigations. And in the case of Hillary Clinton, also, we still have pending a request before another judge in a Benghazi-related Freedom of Information Act lawsuit to have Hillary Clinton come in and testify under oath in person. So we're seeking her deposition directly. And so that's important as well. And, and again, in that case also, the Justice Department, on behalf of the State Department, is objecting to that inquiry. So um, in many ways, it's like nothing has changed uh, at the Justice Department in terms of leadership on, on these specific issues. I know they've done some good things on other issues that we care about, but on this core anti-corruption and transparency issue, the Justice Department is on the other side of the rule of law divide with, uh, from Judicial Watch. Uh, which reminds me, Jeff Sessions, uh, since our, I last talked to you, Jeff Sessions was asked to resign by the president uh, from uh, the position of attorney general, so he's no longer attorney general. Uh, I, uh, you know, by all reports, the president was upset 
with what I believe to be Sessions' unneeded recusal in the Russia collusion scandal uh, from the Russia collusion investigation. You can bet the president wouldn't have appointed him if he thought he was going to uh, have this Justice Department be taken over by Robert Mueller to try to destroy him. So now Sessions is no longer Attorney General. His chief of staff, Matt Whitaker, who is a former U.S. attorney from Iowa, is now the acting Attorney General. Now, some folks have suggested his appointment was inappropriate and not lawful or not in accordance with the Constitution. Trust me, I've reviewed the materials here. The Office of Legal Counsel, which is the kind of the big thinkers legally, they provide legal advice to the Justice Department. So they're the lawyers for the lawyers at the Justice Department. They've analyzed the history of appointments like this. They've been done since the beginning of time in terms of our country. George Washington made uh, acting appointments like this. Uh, they were, it was done 160 times in the 1800s. So there's no legal issue with Mr. Whitaker being uh, acting attorney general. The big news is, as a result of his being acting attorney general, he doesn't have to recuse himself. Well, not as a result of. Now that he's acting attorney general, there's no recusal issue with uh, the Mueller investigation. So he can now, and is now, presumably overseeing the Mueller investigation. Is he going to shut it down? Is he going to rein it in finally? I doubt it, even though he's probably more skeptical of it than Rod Rosenstein, who uh, has been running it to date. Uh, but uh, we could, should continue to press the Mueller investigation to be shut down because it's an unconstitutional, corrupted harassment of the President of the United States and, frankly, many other targets of opportunity in his orbit. I think the Justice Department needs to be focused on the corruption that led to the appointment of Mueller, the corruption behind the Russia scandal, the illicit spying on President Trump, and things of that nature. And it's Judicial Watch, again, that's doing the heavy lifting on this. We filed Freedom of Information Act requests and lawsuits trying to figure out what's going on here uh, in terms of the spying. We got key documents about the FISA warrants, about the communications with Christopher Steele. The FBI was paying him and then said he was an in, in, uh, inappropriate confidential source. It was Judicial Watch that uncovered that, not Congress. And all of that is going to stop out of the House of Representatives now because the Republicans have lost control. Now, I have to say, the Republicans didn't do a thorough enough job here. They didn't provide oversight, at least the House didn't, of Mr. Mueller. And the Senate isn't doing so either. So it's going to be up to Judicial Watch to keep on doing this work. And we have over 30 lawsuits about this deep state conspiracy targeting President Trump. So trust us, like with Hillary Clinton's emails, we are focused on this corruption story, the hijacking of the Justice Department, the FBI, and our intelligence assets and resources, the creation of a special counsel based on criminal activity of James Comey stealing FBI files and then leaking them to specifically get this appointment done. Judicial Watch is doing the work on that, 30-plus lawsuits. So I know some people get upset when Congress changes hands, and you may personally get upset because you're a Republican or conservative, uh, but uh, at least on the issues you care about, it doesn't make a difference to Judicial Watch in many ways because we're just going to keep on doing our work, just as we did when Republicans were running the House.
So uh, some good news there, at least. Judicial Watch uh, is still here, again, thanks to you. So what else do I need to talk about here? Ah, the Awan brothers. No, wait, I'm going to talk about the elections first. So the elections were what now? November 7th or 8th? What was the date of the elections? 6th? November 6th. And now it's November 16th, 10 days later, and we still don't have the results of key elections in Florida. Why? Because it looks like at best they were incompetently run, at worst fraudulently run in certain counties like Broward County and Palm Beach County. In the case of Broward County, election results needed to be posted in a timely way immediately after the election. That was not done. The senatorial candidate for the Republican side, Rick Scott, sued, and uh, the judge ruled in his case that the Broward County official, uh, Ms. Snipes, and the, the, uh, the election officials in Broward County, Florida, which is heavily Democrat, uh, were in violation of the law, state law, and the Florida Constitution. So many people say there's no evidence of fraud. Well, when election results are not being timely posted in violation of law and the Constitution of Florida, that is evidence of fraud. Now, this is not the first time Judicial Watch uh, has uh, investigated Broward County or Palm Beach County. In fact, back in 2000, during the Bush versus Gore fight in Florida, Judicial Watch was front and center. It was Judicial Watch that came up with the idea of using the State Freedom of Information Act laws, the Sunshine Laws in Florida, to gain access to the ballots that were at dispute. So as a result, many folks said, well, we want to gain access to that. And it was Judicial Watch who took the lead in doing its own audit and investigation of Broward County and the other counties and trying to figure out just how many um, votes would have been given to one party or the other if the votes had, uh, if these undervotes, so-called undervotes, were counted as Vice President Gore wanted to do. So we said, well, we'll do an audit ourselves and we'll figure out what went on. It's not going to change the outcome of the election, but it would provide a historical record. Well, we did found, we did find that the records, uh, the ballots that they've been counted would have allowed, again, President Bush to win still. So the left pretends that Florida was stolen from them and the election of 2000 was stolen, and it wasn't. Judicial Watch proved that. But we also saw that in Broward County there was evidence of fraud because there were uh, ballots that were oddly marked. We could not, using a Broward County voting machine uh, that was provided to us, uh, imitate those markings. We also found that Broward County, in counting undervotes, and this is important as Broward County continues to do a, 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 a recount, at least a manual recount, of ballots that were rejected by their machinery, Broward County started evaluating undervotes one way, and then midstream changed uh, their way of evaluating the ballots in a way that was more liberal and more helpful to Vice President Gore. So we've seen this game before, evidence of fraud and mismanagement in Broward County. We have other evidence of fraud and mismanagement in Broward County. They couldn't get these votes in, the recount votes in just this week on time. And if they had did that, they would have given 779 votes to Rick uh, Scott, as I said, the governor who's running for the Senate seat there. Isn't that interesting and curious? Now, Judicial Watch has a team in Florida right now 
monitoring these issues, looking for opportunities related to investigation and litigation. So you can trust us, we have a team on the ground. We also had folks out in Arizona. My colleague Chris Farrell was there with my colleague Mark Spencer asking questions about what was going on in Arizona. Uh, it turned out that um, it looks like uh, any issues of fraud weren't pursued by the Republican Party, uh, but Judicial Watch was asking questions uh, because we, you know, we're not interested necessarily making sure one party wins over the other. I mean, that's not what we do. But we want to make sure that the elections are run fairly and cleanly. And one interesting piece of information we obtained from the Maricopa County uh, election officials was that I think it was 1,700 of the 140-plus thousand new registrants between the dates of January uh, 1st and September 25th of this year were aliens. They provided alien registration numbers meaning they were not eligible to vote. Now, I don't know if those registrations were cast aside or allowed to go forward or rejected, but we do know that, that aliens tried to register to vote, which is contrary to law. About 1% of the new registrations in Maricopa County, which is, I think, the most populous county in Arizona, it's essentially the Phoenix area, were aliens. You know, that's an indication of attempted fraud, at least. And so, again, it's Judicial Watch that's getting this information out there. So I don't know what's going to happen in Florida. It looks like the numbers are holding up in terms of um, Governor Scott eking out a victory and um, Congressman DeSantis eking out a victory in uh, the governor's race. And in Georgia, there's other issues as well. The uh, the losing candidate for governor is getting friendly judges who, in my view, are lawlessly changing the rules after the fact to help this candidate try to gain the votes necessary to win or get a runoff. This is why Judicial Watch's election integrity efforts are so important, because what Judicial Watch tries to do is make sure the rules are clear, uh, that there's integrity in the elections, that we've got voter ID, We've got a process that protects the rule of law and the integrity of the vote. And when you have judges come in after the fact, when you have this crazy idea of uh, tons and tons of absentee ballots, which is a recipe for fraud and confusion, or provisional ballots, another recipe for fraud and confusion, it undermines the confidence of the American people in the election outcomes. And in Florida, I don't know what's going to happen. But one thing you should know is that the check on fraudulent elections at least at the federal level, ultimately are the House of Representatives and the Senate. So if a senator gets into a, uh, the Senate and the House under the Constitution, they make the decision as to who sits. So the state may certify a candidate as winning, if, for instance, a Senate seat, but the Senate may look at that race, see evidence of fraud or other misconduct, and choose to seat someone else, the losing candidate, or they could declare the seat vacant and uh, there'd be a new election. So that's the ultimate check under the Constitution. Obviously, the court should uh, appropriately behave in the meantime, uh, but it doesn't matter how it all pans out with the courts and uh, Miss Snipes in Broward County, the Senate is the ultimate check. So I don't know how it's going to turn out, but your judicial watch is on the ground in Florida uh, trying to make sure things are being done right, and we'll call it as we see it if things go wrong, and this is just the beginning of our investigations, 
you know, what happens is that when you have situations like this, everyone moves away. The, the, the race is decided one way or another, and everyone moves away or goes, goes on and forgets what went on. Judicial Watch doesn't forget. We're going to keep on asking questions and try to figure out what went on in Broward County and Palm Beach County that uh, caused so much chaos and uh, concerns about fraud in this uh, key election race. Uh, we can't, uh, you know, we, we tried to focus on this 20 years ago or 18 years ago. Uh, there's a video of me making a press conference 18 years ago about this very issue uh, of concerns about fraud in Broward County, 18 years ago. And the more things change, isn't that interesting? So uh, speaking of change, we have a new Democratic majority coming in. So um, Nancy Pelosi presumably is going to be the Speaker of the House of Representatives. I have a few issues to talk about there. We've got uh, a new lawsuit that we filed about the Democratic caucus and the way it manages itself uh, and uh, generally the corruption around the administration of the House of Representatives. And this is the Awan brothers. These are the Pakistani, uh, Pakistani uh, brothers who performed Demo- IT for, I think, about 40 House Democrats. And uh, Irman Awan, who was Democratic Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz's uh, IT specialist, was fired in February, I think, of 2017. But Schultz kept him on until he was arrested in July. Isn't that interesting? And the concern is he was, he was able to do all sorts of um, illicit activity as a result of his uh, being allowed to have continued access uh, to the House. Now, Awan eventually had pled guilty to federal bank fraud but prosecutors supposedly found no evidence that Awan violated federal law with respect to the House computer systems, which was the concern that uh, internal watchdogs at the House had about what he was up to. And uh, then there were national security issues because he had access to, uh, presumably, uh, uh, he had access to members of the Intelligence Committee's email. We don't know if there were access to classified email. I don't think there was, but who knows? He was also uh, providing IT services out of Pakistan to the House. So you had 40 House members getting IT services via Pakistan. How does that not raise national security concerns? And so, as I predicted in a meeting we held about this issue back in 2017, the Justice Department was going to stay away from this as far as it could. And I'm not convinced they did a thorough investigation. I'm not convinced the House wants a thorough investigation done, neither the leadership of the House uh, Democrats or House Republicans. You know, this meeting we held was sponsored by Judicial Watch, not by Congress. We work with Louis Gohmert, excuse me, Congressman Louis Gohmert of Texas. Who else was at this meeting? Scott Perry was at this meeting. Uh, Who else was at the meeting? uh, Jim Jordan was at the meeting. So we had some members who were interested in this issue, but it was kind of an informal thing. But to this date, that, that special meeting we had, that special hearing, more or less, is your best uh, bet in terms of getting a full analysis of, of what was going on with uh, the Awan brothers. We had Luke Rosiak participate. 
He's a, a friend of ours at the Daily Caller, a great reporter who's done a great a, much of the reporting on this. So, getting back to the beginning here, the Justice Department's looked at this. They just indicted, uh, you know, they had Awan plead guilty to this bank fraud unrelated to these issues that I'm talking about with this illicit access uh, to Democratic uh, members' homes, I mean, uh, computers which, of course, place all your information at risk if you communicate with uh, Democratic members of Congress. A lot of people do. People complain about getting benefits, and they see, uh, they talk to their members of Congress about it. All sorts of personal information is conveyed. Do these folks have access to it? I don't know. Is anyone asking questions? I don't believe so. And then there was an issue about equipment being used or stolen and, and, uh, uh, by the Awam Brothers ring. So this is a big issue. So what Judicial Watch did, we asked the FBI for all records related to any investigation or preliminary investigations involving former congressional IT support staffers, Abid Awan, Irman Awan, Jamal Awan, and uh, Hina Avi. So this is the Awan family. As part of this request, searches should be of records uh, to the FBI automated indices, it's automated it's automated automated, excuse me, it's older manual indices and it's electronic surveillance data management service system as well as cross-reference files. You know, I read you that because unless you ask the FBI to look in a particular file, they won't look there even if they think the records that are responsive to your request are there. And so our other request also sought records about that whole mess. So we had this comprehensive request and the FBI told us not literally, but um, basically generally to jump in a lake. So Judicial Watch, again, sued because we want the full truth to come out about this House Democrat IT scandal. And it's especially important because the leadership that covered it up in the Democratic Party are now going to be running the House administration, administering fully the House because they're going to be controlling the House. Uh, now, not, not to mean that the Dep Republicans are being let off the hook, too, because they weren't interested in doing this. They don't want people messing around with how they conduct personnel, how they manage corruption issues on the Hill, how they manage your taxpayers on the Hill. They want to be able to spend your money administering the House of Representatives with virtually little or no oversight by you, the American taxpayer. And that's what Judicial Watch is trying to do by getting uh, these FBI records. And again, it's Judicial Watch doing this work. Congress isn't going to do this work. Do you think that Nancy Pelosi is going to allow Debbie Wasserman Schultz to be investigated? Of course not. So it's up to Judicial Watch to do it. And uh, this is what we do. We come in and we do the work that otherwise would not be done. People often, tell, often say to me, I don't know where we'd be without Judicial Watch. And I appreciate the compliment, but it's outrageous that it's true because but for Judicial Watch this would never be investigated. So there we are on there so that's where we there that's where we are on that big scandal. I'll let you know if we get any documents. I I hope the Justice Department, under new leadership, becomes more transparent about these corruption issues. So I wanna before I close uh, talk to you about uh, something that you get if you are a supporter of Judicial Watch. And uh, one way to keep up to date as to what's going on here in Washington that the government doesn't want you to know about is by supporting Judicial Watch. And we send you all sorts of material. We obviously ask you to support us. But one of the key things you get as a member of Judicial Watch is our newsletter, The Verdict. The Verdict is 
20 pages. It's uh, sent out to you monthly, no charge. It's given to our supporters and our members, and it gives you updates on all the work we're doing. And it's chock full of information. It will provide you more information about what's going on here in Washington and across the country in terms of these core corruption issues than any other publication, I can tell you that. Uh, those of you who get the verdict know how good it is. We get nothing but compliments about it. And if you're not getting it, you're going to want to get it. So I encourage you to support our work. Uh, the verdict is a key element of our effort to educate you, the American people, about what's going on here in Washington. So I encourage you to do that. And um, you can support our work by going to, to judicialwatch.org. Uh, and I'm sure I know there's all sorts of donate buttons there. So I encourage you to do that. And you can do it through a variety of other means as well. Just call our 800 numbers that are available online as well. So thanks for your support of our work. It allows us to do the great work I'm talking about, holding Hillary Clinton, holding Hillary Clinton to account, monitoring uh, the security and ensuring the integrity of our elections, and trying to get to the heart of this big Democratic IT scandal, the Iwan Brothers scandal. We wouldn't be able to do it without your support, and you can read about it, as I said, in our verdict and online, and of course I give you updates here as often as I can and my colleagues do as well. So thanks for tuning in to us this week, and I'll see you, I'm sure I'll see you next week. I'm not sure what we're doing next week for Thanksgiving, but if I don't talk to you before then, I wish you a happy Thanksgiving on behalf of all of my colleagues here at Judicial Watch and my family. So from our families to your families, have a wonderful and safe Thanksgiving. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.